Hey everyone, this is Justin. You can really help the show out by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and review. It really makes a difference. Thanks for listening. In this installment of This Is Happening America, is the media the enemy of the people or themselves? More news that's local somewhere. This week's pick from the basket of deplorables, and we give out another star-spangled awesome award. I'm Mark Betancourt. And I'm Justin Mara. There's something strange in the neighborhood. Slimer's on the loose, and we may have to cross the streams. Who you gonna call? Bill Nye the Science Guy? Mark, you have officially failed me. Welcome to another episode of This Is Happening America. I'm Mark. I'm Justin. And yes, we are still doing a podcast. We are. How you doing, man? <laughs> oh, man. It feels good to be back behind the mic. I've been super busy lately. Yeah. H- hence why there have been uh, no real major podcasting going on for us for the last little while. But uh, we've been keeping busy. We've been keeping on top of everything that's happening in the news. Uh, I am spinning with everything that's come out of Washington in the last two weeks between uh, Comey's testimony and Jeff Sessions' testimony. Yeah, and it it has been really hard to keep up with everything and make sense of it all because none of it makes sense right now. Thankfully, Justin and I are here to break down some of those things for you because keeping up with the 24-7 news cycle can be really hard. Can't it, Justin? Incredibly difficult. Yeah. But uh, we're going to try and make sense of that for you today. It's no secret American media has become its own polarizing topic. There's absolutely no way Justin and I can possibly share everything we want to about what we see happening with the news media today and how it's happened in one episode. This is so true. We started researching this episode back in March, and we're only now ready to bring it to air. On February 24th, 2017, President Trump addressed the annual Conservative Political Action Conference and said the following. A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. The president is referring to a tweet he made on February 17th, in which he identifies NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and the New York Times as fake news. President's remarks that day were targeted to those Americans who came of age in the twilight of the 20th century. In those days of the cola wars, music videos, yuppies, and big hair access, the day's news came overwhelmingly via ABC, CBS, and NBC's evening newscasts. Anchored by Jennings, Rather, and Brokaw, respectively, the Big Three's nightly news presided over an era of trust and confidence that spanned more than two decades, homogenizing the American society and cultivating what came to be known as the American worldview. And this occurred largely due to a protective shield set in place by corporate media around their low-budget, high-yield news bureaus. We've done something extraordinary, and we don't know how to fix it. And I don't know who is responsible for fixing it, if anyone is. That is the voice of Llewellyn King. He's been working in news media for over 50 years, and for the last 20 has been the host of the White House Chronicle, which can be seen on PBS. 
Because of the complexity of this topic, we've turned to him for his expertise in understanding the news media. The money has gone from the originator of the news operation, the newspaper, the television station perhaps, uh, the radio station, radio was hollowed out years ago, uh, has gone to the delivery system, Google, uh, etc. The delivery systems are now where the money is. Well, that then they have no interest in the content, and they tend to be common carriers of other people's effort, uh, and not enough money is going. The advertising rates are too low. How journalism is financed has always been a bit rickety. Funding for news stories with good, solid, factual information has always been a concern. In the golden age of radio and TV, the news was a high-yield venture, insulated by primetime programming. Sometime in the 1950s, William S. Paley, the founder of CBS, once called his news bureau together after he heard rumblings about revenue and cost. He said, you guys cover the news. I've got Jack Benny to make money for me. News was sacrosanct. That might have been well and good back in the days of delivering only an hour of news a day between the hijinks of Jack Benny, Jackie Gleason, Lucy Ball, and the Ed Sullivan Show. But today, news anchors, journalists, and analysts alike have become Jack Benny. As a result, the American people are more skeptical of journalistic integrity than ever before. In September of 2016, Gallup published a telling poll. Since the start of the 21st century, the confidence Americans place in the integrity of the news media has been eroding slowly, most recently hitting an all-time low at just 32%. Since the 2016 presidential election, it's fair to say we've all learned to take polling with a grain of salt. But look beyond the numbers, and a very different problem entirely comes into focus. That's right, Justin, because while consumers of news have become statistically more cynical, they've simultaneously grown their appetites for information with greater expediency. The demand for news has become insatiable, and media outlets are struggling to keep up. Enter the internet. In 1997, 1% of the global population could be classified as internet users. By the dawn of the 21st century, that number had grown close to 1 billion. Today, In 2017, there are 3.8 billion users, and the impact of the internet has completely changed the way humanity interacts. And it all goes back to print. That's the base. That's the key in which the whole thing is written. It is not written, and I love radio and I um, enjoy television, but the key in which it is written is print. Uh, That lays down the basic news, Um, If print doesn't have it, you don't have it. Everything else is much more ephemeral. The method for passing along information in the 20th century was overwhelmingly via physical print media, with radio a close second until the rise of broadcast television. The nature of the mediums affected both the quality of content and the ability of journalists to analyze, cultivate content, and then report the record of events. And due to the process, news had a natural gestation period. Practically nothing happened in real time. Conversely, nothing in the 21st century happens on delay, except maybe awards and Super Bowl halftime shows. The public's demand for immediacy and instant gratification has created a situation where little is scrutinized under the microscope. Journalism has devolved into a no-holds-barred death race 3000 to break the story first. 
And compounding the problem is the general public's immediate access to the same information of the day's events at practically the same time as news media, thus eliminating the time that existed in the past to develop and corroborate accurately. This, more than anything else, has led to the rise of punditry. There was an influx of talent after Watergate when it became very fashionable to be in journalism, when media was a hot ticket. One of the consequences of the economic crisis in journalism is that we are not getting the best minds into it. But that was a time when interns who interned in journalism were going to be journalists. The last 10 years, they were saying, we love journalism, but we've seen how poor you all are. We're going to be lawyers. And so some of the best minds I had passed through my own intern system. The talent was not staying in journalism. If you starve a whole industry of talent, you're going to get a result. At the same time the internet has given consumers an infinite supply and demand chain of information, the way the news media in general did business changed as well. This has created a perfect storm for the watering down of our news cycle that's no longer properly researched, generated, or financed. A lot of our second tier, but once very good newspapers, Baltimore Sun comes to mind. It once had 12 overseas bureaus. It has zero today. Uh, The very good newspapers are now hollowed out. They look good. But when you read them, there's some Associated Press copy, there's uh, there's some second-rate writing. Uh, um, They're hurting. The products are not holding up because of the economics, and the end is known. You know, if the product doesn't hold up, uh, the end is known. It's not going to be purchased. The newspaper is going to die, or it's going to have to become something else. Since early 2003, the American Journalism Review has noted a decline in the number of full-time foreign correspondents for U.S. newspapers and TV news bureaus over the last decade. It's down to just 234. Think about that for a second. The number of people sourcing events around the world is equal to the number of students at the school I work at. To give you an idea of just how paltry this is by comparison, There were roughly 500 journalists covering the events of D-Day and thousands of embedded correspondents in World War II. The news media, in all its various mediums, has been exposed to the conglomeration of capitalist entrepreneurship. This isn't happening, America. It already has. There are so many intricacies in the history of broadcast television, FCC regulation, rollbacks, and entertainment evolution we can't possibly cover in one episode. But what's most important to think about here is just what the news media has become. Famous journalist for The New Yorker, A.J. Leibling, once stated, freedom of the press is guaranteed only to those who own one. In recent years, the news media has become owned and operated by the same companies that bring you entertainment television, film, and radio. Most of these companies also own a majority of the news websites you're getting your information from. Name a cable news channel, radio station, or internet news source, and it'll probably be owned by either Comcast, News Corp, Disney, Time Warner, Viacom, or CBS. That's only six, folks. 
The demand for constant updates, analysis, and perspective disseminating to the masses has left media outlets scrambling to break the story first. Journalists don't even have time to fix the typos in their article, let alone properly vet and confirm their news stories. Uh, Newspapers cannot afford to detach uh, writers to think about things and write about them. They don't even have time to train them uh, so that it's gotten to be very superficial. Media outlets are no longer funding people. They're funding distribution networks as a way of catching up to the demand of the 24-7 news cycle. Who are two of the biggest companies providing information to media outlets? The Associated Press, with a global staff of 3,700 people working in 304 locations in 116 countries. And... Bloomberg News, with a global staff of 2,300 working in 72 countries, providing content to 450 different media outlets in 66 countries. Instead of directing funding towards hiring and embedding correspondents to cover the news properly, local news affiliates and even major media outlets in the U.S. are getting their information and sources secondhand from either the AP or Bloomberg. That leaves the media outlets with nothing more than opinion editorials and talking head panels of analysts pontificating and prophesizing what may or may not happen. With such unparalleled access to content and information, internet society in mass has decided the authority of the 5 o'clock news is irrelevant. And so the news media has become reactionary, not just to deliver us the news, but to deliver it first and with the highest returns. It's information overload on the information highway. And journalism, proper journalism, in the truest sense, is suffering because of it. Is the news media the enemy of the American public? Is there any truth in that statement? Of course not. I mean, it's part of the system. I mean, we would have no democracy. That is just totally preposterous. Um, My own view of the news media over a very long period is we get it wrong about 10%. If you take the, the needle is on noon and or the, it can go 10 degrees either way of error, misunderstanding, uh, I'm surprised how right we get it. Now, like all other journalists or like all other people with some specialty knowledge, I am appalled by the mistakes. There are mistakes all the time. We're all haunted by our mistakes. My first wife, who is a very brilliant English journalist, And she used to say, you shouldn't be in this business unless you have the inner panic of fear. And that is, did I get it right? As you're driving home, was it millions or billions? Was his name spelled with a J or a G? Uh, All of these things we get can get wrong, and we do make mistakes. We do, we do, we get them wrong, and they haunt us. The enemy of the people, that is hyperbole of the worst and most stupid kind. Journalism is not a complex trade, in a way. My friend Dan Revive at CBS, he, he once said when there were a lot of these people sitting around at think tanks worrying about journalism, etc. He said, I think it's quite easy. I try to find out what's going on and tell people. And I I think that is the perfect explanation of this trade. That is, uh, that is beautifully simple. Isn't it? Special thanks to Llewellyn King for taking the time to work with us on this episode. 
He and co-host Linda Gasparello are celebrating 20 years of their show, The White House Chronicle, this year. It can be found Saturdays on PBS. Check your local affiliate for times. We'll have more with Llewellyn in a later episode of This Is Happening America. To find out more about the show, visit us at thisishappeningamerica.com. And that brings us to this week's installment of News That's Local Somewhere, because just like politics, all news is local somewhere. Mark, what's your first story? Oh, Justin, a question for you. Yes. Because as as everybody knows, I'm a huge film buff. Yes, Mark. So, um, your thoughts on RoboCop, not the remake... The original. I love RoboCop, and I know I'm in the minority here. I think RoboCop could take the Terminator any day of the week, twice on Sunday. Ooh. I'm team RoboCop. I don't know about that one. I know. Man. I know I'm in the minority on this one. I don't know, but it would, but that, that would be an interesting movie. I'm sure that somebody's going to come up with that somehow. Peter it, Weller, RoboCop, all day long. It might actually save the Terminator franchise. It might. It might. We'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm talking about the real-life RoboCop. I'm sorry? The what? The real-life RoboCop. It's happening, people, and it's happening in Dubai. Now, of course, this article is, uh, is a couple of weeks old, but uh, the autonomous robot policeman was unveiled at the Gulf Information Security Expo in conference at the Dubai World Trade Center, according to an article published on Newsweek. Um, and this, these robots will start to be deployed on the streets of Dubai to help out the police force. This is a terrible, terrible idea. Oh, that is haunting. There he is. That is haunting. That looks like a Doctor Who villain. It, it, it's got a little bit of a Michael Myers vibe to it. Oh my goodness. That which, is which, haunting. Which I wonder was if it wasn't like designed that way to strike fear into the heart, hearts is, of, is of robbers. Is its hand actually a gun? Um, I hope so. That would be no, awesome. No, that would be terrible. But, um, the, <coughs> pardon me. Um, so yeah, so there, it's, it it's looks Robocop. like a cross between a Doctor Who villain and, uh, the unhappy robot from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. Marvin. And, uh. Right, Marvin? Yeah, Marvin. Yeah. And basically, um, the goal of the, of, of the government and of the, uh, the police force there is in Dubai. Is for a horrible PR incident to occur. It is, it, they, they, no, that what's even better is their plan is to make one quarter of its police force robotic by 2030. Just, again, terrible idea. Well, I was about to ask you, Justin, what are your thoughts about a, a robot, uh, police force? But, uh, I think I already know. <laughs> Um, yeah, I am, I am not down with this one. Oh man. Well, it's, uh, well, that happened. And, uh, the, you know, what, what can you do? Robocop, it exists. Peter Wellers, beware. Your job has been taken. All right, Mark. There is some controversy going on in New York. Have you hear, heard about, have you heard? Have I heard? It's been a long day. Yeah. Have been- you heard about the controversy surrounding Harlem? Uh, no, Justin, do, do, do tell, because well, as, as the great people, uh, listening to our podcast know, we don't actually share these articles with, uh, with we each not. other. This is the we don't share them. So this we is are the first time we're hearing these stories. Yeah. So, so go for it. So the, 
the people of Harlem are in quite an uproar recently over a marketing push to rebrand Harlem Soha. Is that because Soho was taken? <laughs> that is because the trendiness of Soho and the shopping and restaurant district there has become so ubiquitous, they're trying to borrow on that for South Harlem to try and attract businesses and restaurants. Okay. For the name is not what's going to attract business right to, and commerce to, to to harlem i'm sorry sorry to say to the people of harlem if we have any listeners in harlem sorry the name's not going to help no and and that is the point of the people of harlem so a number of store owners are trying to rebrand the area between 110th and 125th street as Har- uh, soha short for south harlem in a vote to evoke the trendiness of soho Quote, Danny Tyson of Community Board Members says, no real estate company, no coffee shop, no business should be using the term Soha to refer to Harlem. Harlem is ubiquitous with the cultural center of black history in the United States. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of them. <laughs> yes. You and know, it's like that one, Chicago, which is still under fire. Yes. Yeah. The, but the residents there are, are worried that... The trendiness may attract high-end condo developers and push the actual residents of Harlem out. And where do they go? Uh, That's a great point. Yeah. State Senator-elect Brian Benjamin said, quote, How dare someone try to rob our culture and try to act as if we were not here and create a new name for this cultural mecca? A new reality as if the clock started with other people showing up. I, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, plus, not to mention, it, it's a trendy name, but trends fade away. Right. So th- then what do you have? I, I don't know. But uh, this is interesting because the name Soha first appeared in New York Times story 18 years ago with the first inkling of gentrification, but its use has mushroomed in recent years. Harlem is hardly the first neighborhood to be rebranded. Think NoHo, Nolita, and Nomad, no mention of Soho. Uh, They are the names that emerged as money started pouring in. Community leaders are practically uh, particularly upset with the real estate agency uh, Keller Williams, which has a Soha team on 115th Street. Uh, When the news agency NY1 stopped by for a comment, employees there refused to talk with the agency. Wow. Well... It seems like big business is trying to impede on the little guy again. Don't stand for it, Harlem. Don't don't take it. Yeah, no, don't take it. Don't let them call you so hot. You're going to be so hot. Um, I think Marvel should let us write season two of Luke Cage, and Luke Cage d- destroys. Just go down Soha. there. And, yeah, just bat, just bash his fist right through a so hot. Cage sign. versus Keller Williams. Oh, money, Luke money C- in the bank. Luke Cage. Well, I know, but it's money in the bank, Mark. Yeah. Absolutely. So Marvel, if you're let, if you're listening, we'd be happy to write this for you. Yes, Phase Five. Um, Mark, what's your uh, what's your next story? Justin, yes, Mark. Minor league baseball teams. Oh, okay, this it's, is not my story. It's springtime. You know, it's about to be summer. The boys of summer are out there. Baseball season. It's a it's a wonderful thing. And is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm a baseball fan. Justin's not so much of a baseball I, fan. B- baseball and I broke up in 1993 with a strike. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It broke up with a lot of people. It but did. 
Minor league baseball has consistently always been a fun time for the for the kids, you know, and they always have these great, random, ridiculous promotions. Bobblehead night at uh, at, uh, McCoy Stadium. Yeah. 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 Or or bat night. Miniature bat night. Right. Exactly. Love miniature bat night. That's normal. Yes. Pregnancy test day is not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) A minor league baseball team. (laughs) Which one? In Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, Jacksonville, Florida. You are in it now. Because everything weird happens in Florida. I don't understand it. I don't want to stereotype, but I feel like every... Florida, you are living up to the weirdness title that we have thrown at you. There really is. Don't get me wrong. I love spending time in Florida, but... That just it, there's weird stuff. So yes, I don't. You're dead to me, Florida. Yeah. So this minor league me. baseball team is planning a. Uh, it's called "You Might Be a Father" promotion <laughs> coming up uh, for <laughs> coming up for Father's Day. <laughs> Seeing as though at, for for our listeners, as of right now, we are recording this podcast a couple of days before Father's Day. Um, I would like to take this time to wish my father a very happy Father's Day and to all the fathers out there. Um, but if you need to go to a minor league baseball game to figure out if you're a daddy or not, first of all, well, I mean, there's a whole lot to this. I, th- I think we should just stop there, Mark. No, no, no. Oh, I haven't no. gotten there. I, I'm not done because um, on the team's website... <laughs> The promote the promotional title is uh, which team is this Jacksonville? Uh, the, oh, okay. in lieu of this, the um, the promotional the tagline there is in honor of you might be the fa- you might be the Father's Day. The jump uh, the team will be distributing pregnancy tests so you'll know if you need to return for Sunday's Father's Day game. It will be an <laughs> evening filled with suspense, intrigue, and Manila envelopes. <sighs> Let me tell you something. Whoever is their PR and marketing team for writing that that coily, bravo, I say to you. Brilliant, brilliant advertising. Oh my goodness. I think this is a great idea. I, I think I think it's really hitting things home. The general manager of the team is saying that, you know, that it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek promotion because it's also for their thirsty Thursday crowd. <laughs> which is their typical um, their typical promotion, dollar two dollar drafts. And so- it tends to be a young professional and college student um College, college student crowd come to the thirsty thursday game where get your free pregnancy test and come back for you might be a father sunday yeah because <laughs> yep, and watch the jacksonville jumbo shrimp <laughs> take the field <laughs> who are they the farm team for the jacksonville the jumbo jacksonville shrimp. jumbo shrimp uh, there I, are so many jokes there. I know. That's why I saved it for last. Oh because my goodness! You can't. So the 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 jumbo shrimp are offering. Uh, oh, they're the double A affiliate of the Miami Marlins. That explains a lot. Um, they used to be called the Jacksonville Suns. Somebody thought wow. it would be better to call them the jumbo shrimp. Wow. Um, whoever whoever made that decision should be fired immediately the jumbo shrimp well, in place of the sons offering pregnancy tests wow. to might be dads before father's come day. back from might be father's day happy father's day everybody happy father's day everybody a very special uh, father's day to my dad jerry 
Yeah. Um, and uh, I already said it, but Justin was Justin was laughing really loud. So um, another special shout out to uh, to to Dave. Happy Father's Day. All right. All right, Justin, what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? What do you got after this that? This story is called New York City Subway Shenanigans. Oh, dear. New York City Subway has banned dogs unless they fit into a carrier or bag. And the solution is hilarious and clever. Okay. So the New York City Subway recently decided to implement a new rule, which entails uh, the prohibition of dogs on subway cars unless they fit into a bag. Obviously, it implied big dogs could not travel on the subway. Right. Was the whole point of this. Right. And that's, you know, that's that's sizest. However, they did not specify any weight limits to the dog. Oh. And so riders have been coming up with ingenious yet hilarious and creative methods of getting their dogs onto the subway. In bags? In bags. Oh my goodness. Regardless of the size, these dogs travel free, snug, and extra adorable through New York City subways in a bagtopia of Dotsons, Beagles, and even Huskies. <laughs> what? This is this is by far the best one, Mark. I, I need a I need a visual. I need a visual. That is a husky sticking <laughs> oh, out of the tote bag. Wow! Kudos to that guy for carrying it over one shoulder. Yeah, no kidding. That then and, and that guy's wow. Yeah, that 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 guy's got some shoulder muscles, man. Let yeah. me tell you. So be carrying a husk. Huskies aren't aren't light dogs. They are not light dogs. No. Um, New York listeners. Send us your selfies with, uh, or send us some pics of dogs sticking out of the top of bags. Yeah, we'd love to see them. Where we have an Instagram account now, Tih America, uh, on Instagram. Send us, send us your photos of your dogs in bags. That's hysterical. Yeah, and uh, and just goes to show you that lawmakers are not the uh, are not the smartest people. You, you got to specify, guys. You got to specify a weight limit here. Yeah, you got to you got to find you got to. You always got to protect against the loopholes. You know what? If you own a Mastiff and you can get that thing in a bag and hoist it up, uh, reach out to the show, give us some photo evidence proof, and uh, we will we will reward you handsome, handsomely. Absolutely. Even better, Irish Wolfhound. Yeah. I want to see it happen. Get on it. Get on it, New York City listeners. We know you can do it because New York's strong. You guys can do anything. <laughs> That brings us to this week's pick for the basket of deplorables. Mark, who is in this week's basket of deplorables? Usually, I'm the one that brings the that brings the deplorable forward. But this week, um, Justin Mara, strong take on our Attorney General Foghorn Leghorn. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was that was a low hanging fruit. Sorry, no, uh, it's no, it, you're not. No, I'm not because it's Jeff Sessions this week because his his testimony in front of the congressional uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee. I mean, it was downright laughable. It's deplorable. It's completely deplorable. It's deplorable. It's it's absolutely deplorable. But we both have very different reasons for why we think it was it was deplorable for me. It was when Senator uh, Angus King from Maine, who's an independent. Uh, started talking to him about communications with the president right. and whether or not he would reveal those communications and what was said about the Comey firing and, and, all, and, and all that sort of thing. And Jeff Sessions kept saying that he couldn't, 
give way to the communications and uh, Senator King saying why. And it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the president may evoke uh, executive privilege. Right. Which the president is allowed to do. Yes. The president can say this confirma- this conversation is classified. It's executive privilege. You cannot reveal the our communication. But interestingly enough, President Trump has not done that. No, he has not. According to according to the the, the line of questioning, because Senator King's pretty smart guy and somebody who I actually gained a tremendous amount of respect for in the in these congressional hearings. Right. He was ta- he was saying, well, d- did he? And Jeff Sessions says, no, but he might. Right. So help me understand something. Our attorney general, the guy who is supposed to know everything about the law. He's, is, in, char- he's in charge of the, the justice system. He's in, in charge the of the States. justice system. Right. He's in charge of the Department of Justice in, in our country is telling us that somehow, some way that the president of the United States can retroactively evoke executive privilege. He, he three times he cited a Reagan era example of this happening uh that and and claimed that it was long-standing precedent of the justice department he couldn't sign it uh, he couldn't cite it i can't find evidence of it when i search for it because it doesn't exist it seems to not be legitimate and how how can we as a a, a democratic republic how could the founding fathers how could anywhere along the line there be a, a oh gee you know well if the if the president can just, you know, well, if something's a mess, then the president can just say, yeah, you can't talk about it. I'm evoking executive privilege retroactively. If that were the case, nothing ever would have happened with Nixon or Clinton. Uh, true. True statement. Yeah. Because you, they would have just said, no, that's executive privilege. We can't talk about that. End of end of end of case. No impeachment, no resignation. How does that work? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it's it's it appears to be plain and simple contempt. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The attorney general of the United States refused to answer any question that he was asked. Yeah, which could be obstructing the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation into what's going on with the, the dark cloud of, of, of Russia hanging on, which I got to be honest, I'm sick and tired of talking about Russia. Right. It's so let's not do about that. that. So we're not going to talk about Russia. But instead, Justin... You have another point that you would strongly like to make yes. about, this, about the attorney general's testimony. Some news agencies are starting to talk about this now, but for the first 48-hour news cycle of the attorney general's testimony uh, in front of Congress, nobody really went after his recusal. And I don't think Jeff Sessions understands what recusing himself means. So... You can, you can find this, and we're going to link you to it in the show notes. In the Attorney General's letter of recusal, he didn't just recuse himself from the Russia investigation. He recused himself from all elements of the 2016 election. Yeah, it says it right here in his statement on the Department of Justice website. I have decided to recuse myself from any existing or future investigations of any matters related in any way to the campaign's Plural. Plural. For president of the United States. Right. So that means the attorney general cannot then recommend to the president to fire Comey, the director of the the FBI, FBI, whether it's for what Trump says is the Russia investigation or or for for what Sessions and Rosenstein are saying is because of Hillary's email, because that was directly related to her campaign. Right. And in his testimony. 
this guy had the audacity to state, well, you can't expect me to abide to something that prevents me from executing one of the positions of my job or overseeing one of the agencies that I'm responsible for. Yes, we can, Jeff Sessions. Because that's what recusal means. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So either the attorney general doesn't understand what recusing himself means, or B, just doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, this, This is obstruction, plain and simple. He recused himself from his his duties. He took action. He did affect an investigation, an ongoing investigation into a matter connected to the 2016 election. Period. End of story. And the worst part through his own through his own recusal letter and his own testimony and and apparent incompetence. Yeah, has has caught himself quite possibly in an obstruction of justice charge. And, and I'm really I'm really disappointed that people are aren't really talking about in mainstream. Um we found a slate article and um what was the other one that you just found when we were, we were Oh, that was the, that was the only one I found. I mean, I haven't I haven't done a whole lot of research into like finding every single article about it, but I've been the following first, this pretty the closely. First one, the first one that came up was was slate uh putting it out there right but yeah see, i think I've, people are starting to come around to it now but see it cnn fox no, news coverage no like, and even the networks have not been addressing this I, i've seen an npr article and the, and the slate articles rachel you know. maddow where are you yeah where are you mainstream media this is this is serious actually i'll take i'll 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 rescind that that last is Matt Matt I want it I, I I don't know for sure oh okay I don't know for sure that I'm was just being you just I'm, being funny I'm, I'm just being dramatic okay yeah so uh, yeah Jeff Sessions your your testimony in front of Congress was simply deplorable there's no other way to describe it yep and after the basket of deplorables we always like to end out on a high note here on this is happening america by giving out a tulsi gabbard star spangled awesome award and and the, the 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 funny thing about it is oftentimes the the person that gets dropped into the deplorables uh basket Kind of coincides. We, we a like bit. symmetry in these awards. We do. Uh, so, Justin, who's getting the Star Spangled Awesome Award for this episode? Senator Kamala Harris of California. Ah, Kamala. Yes. All right. So, and and for the nonpartisan manner that she's conducted herself with through all three of the recent congressional hearings, for staying level-headed and asking concise, direct yes or no questions of those appearing before Congress. And when she asks you a yes or no question, the answer better be yes, yes or no. Yes or no. Yeah. I mean, she is a seasoned trial prosecutor, and she she is just asking pointed questions that you are not going to be able to wrestle around yourself. And right. again, not to harp on it, but going back to Attorney, Jeff's, Je- Attorney General Jeff Sessions, in his testimony when when Harris was questioning him, he seriously said, you know, you, you're, you're asking me these questions too fast. I, you're making me nervous. Right. Like, They're yes or, no, yes or no questions. They were yes or no questions. And maybe the point of it as a prosecutor was to make you nervous. Right. Maybe. Maybe. You know, but Probably. her tactic and her veracity of asking questions was very consistent with the way, that, the way she asked Comey questions. Very similar to the way she asked um, all the all of the generals that testified the uh, the, the intelligence heads the, the, yep. the, the heads of the the heads of the intelligence. So bravo to Senator Harris um, for just trying to do your job and not listening to hecklers or anybody who might think that 
you're not doing your job. To hell with them. Mark, you got anything you want to plug this week? Um, no, because I don't want to make any promises of what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. I have something I want to plug. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, okay yeah. Sorry, yeah, we were still plugging things. That's okay. All right. <laughs> Listen, we're a little rusty, America. Yeah, we're out of practice. I am uh, the co-host on a side project podcast called Geeking Out. Uh that you can hear on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun little jaunt uh, down memory lane through um, uh, media and television and film and comics f- back from our college days uh, with my good friend Gary Stevens, and it's called Geeking Out with Shades and Sketch. Check it out if you'd like. You can find that in iTunes and Google Play. Are you cheating on me? I am. All right, well, that about does it for this episode of This Is Happening America. I'm Mark. I'm Justin. And coming to you somewhere, somehow, someway, from somewhere in America. Bangarang! You can find past episodes of the show on iTunes and Google Play. To learn more about us, visit thisishappeningamerica.com. There you can find our social media platforms. Our email address is thisishappeningamerica at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.